Hi, and welcome to another Writers After Dark. I'm Summer Brooks, and remember, we are here because good stories start with the writers. Since wherever there's a story, someone's either making it up or writing it down. And my guest with me now is Michael Morisi, the acclaimed author of a new space opera series, Black Star Renegades, We Are Mayhem, part of the ever-growing and in my mind, not heralded enough genre of space opera. <laughs> Welcome, Michael. Hi. Hey, happy to be here. How's it going? <laughs> uh, pretty good, because I have more space opera on my uh, never-ending TBR pile, and Black Star Renegades was just a hell of a lot of fun. And when I heard that We Are Mayhem, the continuation of the saga was coming out soon. It's already out now. I said, I have to find a way to talk to this man because this is these are fun stories and fun stories that involve uh, the struggle to find oneself, the struggle to figure out who you are when everyone around you has been lying to you about who you are. <laughs> uh, rebellions, capers, and just overall, just fun with space battles, you know, the little guy against the big guy. You have a little bit of everything in Black Star Renegades. And I have not yet read We Are Mayhem, but I'm told that you take that formula and crank it up to seven and a half. <laughs> uh, that is totally true, uh, for sure. And um, yeah, I mean, first of all, thanks for the... Um, Thanks for the kind words. Um, I mean, everything you said is like, it's what I set out to do, you know, like these are the kind of stories that I love. Um, I'm a huge sci-fi fan, uh, reader and writer and everything. And uh, some of my favorite sci-fi is like that vintage, you know, kind of pulpy sci-fi that obviously uh, a direct corollary is, is Star Wars, but then Star Wars, you, 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 dig into those the, the roots of that tree and they go to you know buck rogers and they go to um flash gordon and all sorts of other you know vintage pulpy sci-fi that's just um you know top level down is is fun it's fun <laughs> i glad you used the word capers i used to use that word more um <laughs> that's a great word um but it's just it's 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 big and it's noisy and it's uh just big and exciting adventures but underneath is the stuff you mentioned too is about these journeys of self-discovery these journeys of rebellion uh these journeys of trying to do uh a simple right thing in a really complicated universe and um that's the stuff that's the stories that have always mattered most to me and um that's why i try to tell them as best as i can and um then yeah like you said we are mayhem takes a lot of those things and natural as it's a sequel uh, the stakes uh, are raised and the, the mythology gets a little deeper the characters get a little deeper uh but while still retaining all that fun that i uh, cherish most uh in, in those kind of stories so what kind of stories led you to write black star renegades because there's like i said there's a lot of influences from other stories that you can see in there, but they blend to make its own unique, I'm going to say, myth, legend. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, 
a lot of it, I would say there's there's three things uh, that are there's there's a number of things. If I had to pick three, um, you know, obviously there's Star Wars. Um, Star Wars is a huge part of my life. I, I don't know how I would <laughs> separate myself from Star Wars uh, and it's doing something so clearly um, uh, just a step over from Star Wars. It's hard not to acknowledge it. And I don't want to not acknowledge it, acknowledge it. You know, I embrace my Star Wars influence uh, fully. Um, and, and that takes a lot of the stuff that we talked about uh, that I mentioned just a few seconds ago and puts it in this really great space fantasy pulp package um but also uh in addition to that you know you know kind of stretching out uh so it's not just kind of uh, uh the story my story wasn't just a mimicry um one of the main things was uh arthurian legend you know you have in, in black star you have the rakura which is this mythical weapon that the person who pulls it from its stasis uh is the de facto you know, chosen one, so to speak. And you have the same thing with Arthur and um, Excalibur. But what I really love most about that mythology of Arthur is the um, the reliance and the, the belief uh, and trust in community. Um, you know, Arthur's, you know, legendary, obviously, for uh, the round table. And the round table, obviously, you know, signifies uh, equality among people. You know, Arthur was smart enough to recognize that uh people around him were if not his better uh if not his equal they were his better uh and he knew that just because he had pulled a sword uh this magical sword uh from its from its keeping that didn't mean that he was uh, a god figure uh it just meant that he had to still rely on the people around him and that that's a big part of black star is this um this idea that we are we're better together and uh, we should not rely on one person to solve our problems. Because um, if that person goes away somehow, as they do in Black Star, not to spoil anything, <laughs> uh, you, you're in trouble. Um, yeah, and then lastly, I think um, it's something that inspired uh, Star Wars as well, uh, but inspired me in similar and different ways is, is Kurosawa. Um, I really love, I love Kurosawa movies in general, um, but I also love a lot of the things you could kind of almost take Kurosawa stories and set them in space and they work so well. Um, you know, seven samurai about the underdogs, the, the, the kind of peasant like people, uh, which is, you know, may not peasant, but like, you know, flesh Gordon was never the top, you know, best person necessarily, you know, from the start, uh, Buck Rogers, you have all these characters, especially in star Wars to Luke who are, you know, kind of down and out And the seven samurai were all down and out and, you know, Jimbo is about people, you know, hero who's down and out and who are able to stick to a particular code and do the right things, especially, you know, against Seven Samurai about people, you know, these this group of individuals who don't necessarily share anything in common, but still are able to unite uh, for the greater good, which just goes back to the Arthurian thing, which goes to the Arthur thing. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, the Star Wars thing. Um, and that's something that was important to me to convey in the books is uh community and, and unity and togetherness. That's an interesting, it's an interesting connection there because a lot of the Kurosawa movies were remade as Westerns mm -hmm. and a lot of the themes in space operas come right from the Western. So there is a, a direct connection there that works. And now you have me imagining Yojimbo in space. 
<laughs> I know, right? I, I would love Yojimbo in space. <laughs> oh my goodness, tell me about it. But there was there was something interesting I came across. I, maybe it was just a connection I had in my head, just because with the recent news of uh, Dune being rebooted, you have the Rakura, which is this mystical weapon. You have the the person who's supposed to be able to wield it as uh, what was it, the Paragon? If I remember correctly, mm-hmm. yeah, and exactly. then uh, that person is prepared, trained for long periods of time to be able to wield the Rakura when he retrieves it. And I'm just thinking, huh? Quizat Tadarak, Benny Jesuit, <laughs> and then you've got the guy, they, the guy who they think is going to be the Paragon, being trained and groomed to follow instructions, and then the real one shows up, and he's like, uh, no, not having any of this. <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought of that and it's it just struck me as cool the hero with an attitude because everybody dismissed him until it was proven that he was the hero and now he's got this attitude like well you didn't want me so you can't control me now get out of here <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's funny because Dune is a book that I adore I'm sure we, we all do and, and it's funny there's um. Gosh, there's a and I can't believe I'm blinking on it, but there is a great line from Dune that I kind of modify a little, a little bit. <laughs> uh, that's in Black Star. They specifically quoted uh, in the, in the early part, like the first two or three chapters that I quote um, from Dune. A little kind of Easter egg. There's a number of Easter eggs. There's there's Dune. There's there's even Star Trek. There's Mass Effect. There's Battlestar. There's just little kind of references. But Dune is at least. No, there's another one later in the book. So there's two Dune references in there. Okay, now I'm going to have to go back and find them. <laughs> Darn it! Sorry, Darn it. I'll, I'll remember and I'll email you because I don't want to send you on a on a hunt like that. <laughs> um, and I just I just can't remember the line. I don't know why, but yes, there's a, spe- a specific specific one, and then a naming of something I forget is um is a riff on something from Dune as well. Cool. So what what led you to choose? how to present your heroes and the 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 political climate they were in the, the just having all these worlds being under this one umbrella and you just just coming up with the story the people in the story because the setting is cool but unless the people make it feel real the story potential doesn't get reached and in black star at least you you hit that out of the park for me oh well thank you that's awesome to hear um yeah i mean i think that like it was grounded in you know so my my background is you know i'm like a lower middle class kid uh teamster (laughs) you know family and uh so i've always I, i i don't i always like stories stories that appeal to me and my that's you know tie into my own experience are about uh just regular people you know like people who aren't necessarily uh i I don't i'm not crazy about you know prophecy stories and stuff like that uh i I, something that i just don't understand because i never really felt you know kinship with that from where i was from but like um i wanted these characters you know kira and kate are you know the two main characters are both very similar but they're both very very different but very similar but one thing they share in common is that they they don't necessarily 
first of all, they don't play by the rules, especially Kira. <laughs> um, <laughs> she's very much her own person uh, in the best way possible. But they're also uh, perpetually on the outside looking in because, you know, they more or less have a mind of their own. You know, they don't they don't fit into the working order of things and not fitting has only kind of pushed them uh, further to the edges. So you have these two people who, who live on the edges. Cade becomes capable because he, you know, acquires this weapon. Uh, Kira is just capable because she just is. She's trained and she's skilled and she's capable. Uh, but the only thing that pushes her away again is that she just doesn't want to, you know, conform to the ruling order. So I like people who are nonconformist. I like people who are, are, are still capable. And I like people who um, are every bit as willing to do the right thing but they want to do it on their own terms, you know, and um, that's how both of them function. That's how Mig and Forco function as well. You know, they've both been they've all been through hard times and they've all been through challenging times. And I like giving characters um, those recognizable uh, uh, things in their life that we can all understand, like of being outcast or being poor or being disregarded or discarded or whatever that we've all kind of feel, at least I think. And despite that you know not not turning that into bitterness but still keeping a core goodness that yeah i've been through hard times and yeah i haven't been treated great but i still know what the right thing is and i'm still determined to do the right thing but i just don't want to do it on anyone else's terms because you know i'm me and this is who i am and this is how i do things and um i love that kind of character and and, and i love i love it in the in the the black star world was there a specific story choice that led you to make Cade and his brother Tristan uh, young-ish, younger, I should say? Um, yeah, I want it to be all, you know, kind of a blend of a, of a coming-of-age story because I think that, like, what's happening lends itself as they're coming there. Is there is they're coming into the their specific purposes? You know, Kira is never really you know had the fortune of having her potential uh anybody really giving her the opportunity to reach her potential uh same thing with forkel same thing with mig um Cade, not really he doesn't his potential's not and you know not as pronounced as everybody else but i think that's something about that time of your life where you're looking for a chance you know you just want a chance you just want that opportunity to to prove that you can do more than what everybody has seen from you or what everybody expects of you. And that's, and that's maybe that's through all our lives. I think we all want that at, at different times and that, that feeling evolves over time. But I think it's the most pronounced when you're, when you're younger and you've never experienced that and, and you want that. You just have this desire to, to step into your own if you just had the chance to do so. And what the story provides is, is all four of them uh, a chance to really be who they think they can be. How how important to the story was it for you that you have this group of people uh, uh, on the planet, uh, the well, and their mysticism, their faith, their adherence to certain things that had to happen in order for them to, I guess, achieve their ultimate, I guess, prophetic dream, and to have there be an undercurrent of corruption in there that literally blindsides everybody. How, how, how integral was that? What was, I guess, what was the push to have that be so 
shall we say, sneakily planted. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and I'm glad you picked that up because that, that is really important to me because, you know, I worked in politics uh, when I was in my 20s. Um, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's okay. I learned a lot. I learned a lot. <laughs> um, and uh, I'm pretty still pretty, you know, politically engaged. I may not be vocal about it online because I don't – that's just a – that's a whole conversation of social media and oh, the terror yeah. that it um, <laughs> but um i saw with my own with my own two eyes and through my experience a lot of people a lot of well-intentioned truly wonderful good people be stymied by their own ability to put their intentions and, and goodness into action and um, I saw this just over and over and over. And the one again, and and the one thing I saw on the other side of the people who I thought were not necessarily. I'm not going to designate <laughs> political parties. You may be able to figure it out. But the other side, no matter how terrible, in my opinion, their initiatives were, they could mobilize like nothing else. They all get on the same page. They all agree to the same terrible plan, and they put it into action. Where my side, where I saw, you know people with good intentions and good hearts, but would get lost in minutia and lost in details and to the point where they're just ineffective. And there's something to be said about the, not evil, but like the, the curse, the badness of being ineffective, you know, of not, of not accomplishing thing, you know, good intentions are one thing and, and having a good heart and meaning well, those are all noble things. But if you can't execute those attentions, intentions, if you can't make things happen for the greater good, then that's bad. That's, that's bad. And I, that's what the well is. Yeah. They're well-intentioned. Yes. They're, they're noble, but they don't do anything. You know, they don't accomplish anything. And while they're sitting there wondering what they should do and waiting for a, a, a chosen one for, to arrive, arise, a great evil is rising on their watch and they're doing nothing about it. Yeah, I heard it described once as the paralysis rising from the cognitive dissonance because you have good intentions to make things change. But on your way up, you're told the only way you can change things is from the inside. And the only way to get in, get to the inside is by playing ball with their rules. But by the time you rise to a point where you can make changes, You've become so indoctrinated into the system you wanted to fight against that you become part of the problem you were, you were trying to solve. Oh, that's 100 percent accurate. <laughs> yeah. So having that sneak up in the story was, I think, brilliant and, and oh. entertaining. It was very entertaining to go, oh, there was somebody behind them with a knife ready to drop it in their back at any moment. And they never saw it coming. Nice. <laughs> yeah well i'm glad you noticed that because that's i mean that's a, definitely intentional and um you know uh it's something that's that's irksome to me it still is and i think that came out especially when i was writing it i think i was more irked uh than i am now but um not that the anything's gotten any better but i think it was just the wounds were more fresh i can say <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's it playing with betrayals in in fiction in books and movies is always interesting because 
that's something that hits you fundamentally to your core. People say, oh, don't take it personally. It's like, well, yeah, you did it to me. How can I not take it personally? <laughs> you chose to act like my friend, and then you chose to step on my throat on your way past me. How can I not take that personally? So, yeah. you know, just seeing seeing the different ways uh, writers of fiction handle that has always been intriguing to me. Now, like I said, in, in We Are Mayhem, we have the aftermath of what happens at the end of Black Star Renegades, which I am not going to spoil for anybody. <laughs> but we have a situation where the, the core conflict isn't resolved. Yeah, the, the, the people in power are kind of, shall we say, upset about losing one of their best toys. <laughs> 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 and uh, we, we go from there. So where, what was your idea to take where we left off in Black Star Renegades, jump forward to We Are Mayhem and, like I said, turn up the the fun and the hijinks to you know seven and a half oh yeah i mean you you pretty much set it up perfectly because that's exactly it so you've haven't black star doesn't really resolve the problem you know something a, a toy has been destroyed and lost by the, the bad guy's toy um and i think one of the biggest the most the thing that interesting interested me most in uh we are mayhem and the development of it was uh, dealing with consequence. Um, Kira, Kate, Mig, Vorkel uh, have all um, set out on this path now, and they've made decisions, uh, and their actions have more or less now sparked a war. Um, it's it's a war in one way that they wanted because it's the war that the well wasn't uh, wasn't equipped to fight, or maybe wasn't um, necessarily interested in fighting. Uh, but they've started this war, and it's, it's, it is a necessary war, but war nonetheless. So now it's time to deal with the fact that the galaxy now is at war. They're responsible, and they have to do something about that. Uh, and that's a, that's a serious um, thing. And I wanted to, to those ramifications to be felt in, in the story and through the characters. You know, I think it's most felt in Kira. So, um, you know, one thing I can say is a, is a big difference from the first book to the second book is um, the first book in Black Star that the narration is all through uh, Kate's point of view, uh, whereas the second book the narration uh, flips every chapter, and it's, so it's half the book is through Kate's point of view and the half is through Kira's point of view, and she's more of the military. Um, uh, figure uh, in this uh, so we see uh, her dealing more directly with the war more directly with what's happening and, and Cade in his side is more directing, directly dealing with like the the spiritual aspects of uh, of this particular war in the sense of like he needs to figure out using this Rokura he has to, he has to get to the bottom of this and use it because they won't, they probably won't win otherwise so you get two different perspectives of like just the practical effects of war and recruiting and what it does to you and the people around you. And then also kind of the more, uh, yeah, I, I said before, but like spiritual stuff about war and fighting and conflict and where does that lead you? And that's really my, was my entry point to like deepening things a little bit. Like I, you know, I said before, still fun, but it, it needed to be a little bit deeper because what they're dealing with is a lot more, it's less coming of age and more dealing with consequence. 
And just for story crafting purposes, how long did it take you to decide which threads to follow in We Are Mayhem and to put them all together? Um, you know, fortunately, it wasn't too long because, um, as I mentioned, I had, you know, part the second book is flips between different POVs. And there were chapters written uh, in Black Star that were from Kira's point of view, uh, but we—it's it, a long story why we couldn't use them. It just—it really didn't work because it just wasn't consistent enough. I guess it wasn't a long story. That's really it. <laughs> <laughs> and there's more to it. Basically, like it wasn't used enough, so it was kind of weird when we shifted into seeing the story through her eyes. Um, but I was really developing that um, the f- the foundation of what would end up being the sequel in the first book, and it was all kind of cutting room floor stuff that I didn't use any of it directly, but um, I was able to use kind of it in spirit. Um, so it wasn't that long a, of a development time. Um, uh, to figure out, you know, what this book, um, should be. Um, I wrote them more or less back to back. Um, so I had the story really still fresh and I had the characters fresh and everything that was going on, um, really, really stuck in my mind. Uh, and, and the best thing was like having clarity about knowing what I wanted to do in sense of like wanting it to be not darker. Cause I don't think it's darker, but maybe a little bit more gravity, a little bit more, a little bit more serious, um, and seeing how to achieve that, you know, cause I didn't want it to be just, you know, a, a sequence of, you know, party romps, <laughs> you know, cause that, <laughs> that's not what I was after. Uh, I want it to be fun, but I also want it to have a little bit of, uh, of gravity to it. And not to sound like I'm greedy or anything, but how many more uh, stories are in this series or do you have in mind for this series? And when can we see them? <laughs> well, <laughs> so I wish I had a good, solid answer for that. So it's all dependent on how the first two do. Um, the first one, as you had mentioned, this, the second one just came out. Um, so there's really no telling. Uh, so I think it's about for like about a month. Um, but the first one luckily, uh, has done well and continues to do well. Thank goodness. Um, so there is a possibility. And, and if it were up to me, uh, I would, I would, I would tell a third story. I'd make it a, a proper trilogy. Um, and then I would probably tell a, uh, a Kira, uh, kind of prequel book and a, uh, uh, Mig and Forkel, uh, how they met, uh, and like a, just a fun, uh, Megan Forkel adventure <laughs> book because I think it'd be hilarious. <laughs> um, so I would I would like to do at least three more if if you know if the fates allow. Any chance of doing like uh, so we say like novellas uh, that carry on adventures both before and after? Say maybe uh, ebook only sort of special editions. Ooh, well that's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I never thought about that. I mean, that that would be fantastic. I would love to write, you know, just like a make, like I said, a Megan Forkel adventure, just as a novella, would actually be perfect size, and you know, uh, just throw it up as a novella. That would be that's a really good idea. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> that, might, I... that just might happen. <laughs> yes, I have instigated my my work here is done today. <laughs> Take five. <laughs> awesome. So other other than uh, our heroes from the Black Star Renegade stories, what other stories are you working on or, or have already put out into the world? 
Um, uh, right now, I'm work, there's two main things that I work on are kind of the nucleus of, of my job at the moment. And it's um, uh, I have another space opera uh, in, in comic form called uh, Waste of Space. That's way more definitely not a coming of age, more adult. Uh, and a lot of uh, somebody called it. Um, if you're familiar with the show Preacher, the comic Preacher, mm-hmm. uh, if someone took Star Wars and and shoved it down Preacher's mouth. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> and uh, I, I kind of like that. Um, but uh, yeah, that's a story that's like through Vault Comics for issue nine or no. Yes, issue nine is on its way out. It's uh, it's going to be at least twenty issues that we have planned. It might be a little more, uh, but that's what we've got in, in mind. Uh, so I'm working on that, and we've mentioned Star Wars a lot, but I also write, you know, for Star Wars proper, not just my <laughs> Star Wars adjacent stories. But uh, I also write for Star Wars. I'm writing one of the um, uh, Lucasfilm. In fact, just announced this on May the fourth. The uh, um, journey to skywalker uh publishing line and i'm writing the uh, star wars adventure comic that goes along with the like a r2d2 bb8 c3po uh team up <laughs> spy team up <laughs> nice very nice i can't wait yeah. to see that one that's uh that's pretty interesting because i've i you know this may be sacrilege to the star wars community but i like the force awakens i like last jedi more than I like the the middle or the prequel trilogy. I was a huge oh. fan. I was a huge fan of Phantom Menace because the the Machiavellian chess game that that movie was, all to put one particular guy in power in the right place at the right time, I thought was brilliant. I don't know what happened to Attack of the Clones or Revenge of the Sith. I'm just going to kind of ignore just that didn't happen. Those, <laughs> those two movies just didn't happen. We're going to leave it at that. And then Rogue One came along, and I'm like, this is the Star Wars I've been waiting for for 25 years. What happened? <laughs> yeah, Rogue One is – I adore that movie. That and Solo. I love, love both of those movies. They're just perfect for what they are. They're not Star Wars stories. Like not They're not the episode stories, but they're thoroughly Star Wars stories in their own very unique ways, and they are great i love those movies yes i i i had to go back and see rogue one in the theater again after seeing a press screening and i'm like no this is delightful this is this is what i've been waiting for for ages and i'm glad it's here (laughs) right i know i remember seeing it being like i is this really this good (laughs) like how how can this be i couldn't even believe how good it was i still can't believe how good it was it's just oh i love that movie yeah i like it i like it a lot so what? where can people find you online to talk about Star Wars or Black Star Renegade or Dune or whatever geek fandom happens uh, across your table at any moment? Yeah, I am, I am ready to talk about it all. Um, I am uh, uh, Twitter at Michael Maurice, um, a website, which is Michael P. Maurice, uh, dot com and, uh, yeah, and on Instagram. I think Instagram is the same, like at Michael Maurice. However, Instagram works. Um, I am there as well. So what was the last geek argument you got into on Twitter? Because that's what Twitter's for, geek arguments. Um, you know, I, I, I actually last night posted something about Game of Thrones, and I got like two people who were like shaking their fists, and I like immediately, <laughs> I immediately took it down. Um, the fundamental thing that I asked was like, 
not asked, I just had a statement about how poor the strategy from the Daenerys Jon Snow side has been these last two episodes. (laughs) Like, remarkably poor. I mean, am I wrong? (laughs) No, you're not. Uh, Jon Snow's tactical strategies for the past, I don't know, for... I'm going to say two and a half seasons has been questionable. All of these people put their faith into him. And the only reason he's not as bad a strategist as Rob Stark is because he's still alive. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I, for real. I mean, that's, I just, I just don't know why. I just don't know why some choices are being made. I, 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 you know, they they go out of their way to make John look. I mean, there's so many good things about John. There's so many good things about John and Daenerys. I like them both, uh, but they go out of their way, especially with John, to make John look, while he's noble and he's brave and he's kind. Boy, they make him look dim. Um, and uh, I just, I'm like, why? we take one step forward two steps back all the time you know you had this like great setup like yesterday's episode i don't think this spoilers but like you know you're going into a place where you know you're going into king's landing you know their greatest asset is this part of the iron fleet so they're like you know what we're going to do is we're going to take our rinky dink fleet and we're just going to park it on the coast and see what happens. It's like <laughs> you're going to get decimated, of course. What, uh, what do you think? <laughs> like, goodness, yeah. Because it was like uh, the, the episode in last season where uh, Sansa holds court and basically tells Littlefinger his time on this planet is done. And I'm watching that whole scenario play out and going, yeah, it's time we had a queen in the north here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I have suspicions that Sansa might end up on that throne. Yep. I I wonder. Yep my my theory, no spoilers here. We're gonna have Sansa as queen in the north. If John lives, he will be the warden, uh, or the or her hand, whatever. If Daenerys manages to hold it together mentally and emotionally, I think it'll be her and Gendry on the throne, on the Iron Throne as king and queen. That's what I'm saying. Wow. All yeah. right. Yep. Okay. Yep. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, I, I, I can see that. I mean, I it's hard to predict. Uh, it's such a – this season's been unpredictable, but not necessarily in the best way. <laughs> um, but, like, I, I, I feel like all, anything's possible. I mean, I, I'm, like, watching yesterday. I'm like, Cersei might win, <laughs> um, which uh, I don't I, – maybe – Possibly, but I I have a theory about that, but I'm not going to go into it because this week's episode still hasn't been seen by everybody. So, but we will continue this conversation because we can. Thank you for joining us today to talk about Black Star Renegades, We Are Mayhem, and all the other space opera fun you are generating for us. Yeah, I'm delighted to talk. uh, Sorry to go uh, into the (laughs) into the uh, you know the the iron throne Uh, but uh yeah this is a great time and uh yeah i'm so glad we did this and thanks for having me and we'll be back with more writers after dark right after this and yes michael and i continued to talk about game of thrones for a few more minutes and it was delightful But uh, I highly recommend 
Black Star Renegades. I'm still reading through We Are Mayhem. Recommend that too. And there are audiobooks that I didn't know about until after the fact. The audiobook for Black Star Renegades won an Audi Award, and the audiobook for We Are Mayhem just came out this week also. And something else I didn't realize, a previous comic series by him, uh, Roche Limit from Image, is being looked at by Sci-Fi Channel. So, yay, congrats, Michael. Hopefully that will continue to move along, give us some more space opera on TV. I wonder if they would use that to replace The Expanse. But we still have The Expanse, and season four should be coming up soon on Amazon, and I'm looking so forward to that. But we have so many books to talk about, so many authors to chat with, and not enough time to write the reviews of the stuff we have read. But we shall manage. Hoping there won't be as large a gap between episodes going forward, working on that. But if you have any questions or comments, feel free, send an email. Summer at writersafterdark.com or call in 602-635-6976. Ask a question, make a suggestion, Uh, the usual sci-fi, horror, mystery, thriller, written word, geek conversation. You can listen to Writers After Dark in iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play and Player FM. And you can leave a review for the show on those platforms as well. You can follow us on Twitter at Write After Dark. W-R-I-T-E. And of course, the website, writersafterdark.com. I'd like to thank everyone who's supporting all of the Slice of Sci-Fi sister projects through Patreon. If you'd like to help out there, you can go to patreon.com slash sliceofsci-fi. There are perks for different levels of donations. Most of them are books. Some of them are DVDs and Blu-rays. And I'm having a hard time finding people who actually want the books I'm offering as perks. I'm curious. You like the books, right? Seriously, call me. Let me know. Email me. Let me know. There are a lot of books here that need new homes. Unfortunately for you, Black Star Renegades and We Are Mayhem are not on that list. Sorry, those are mine. I'm keeping those. <laughs> I'd like to thank Shay Dawn and Sybin Quest for providing the theme music for the show. We have links on the website where you can sample some more of their compositions. But that'll do it for this episode. 
of Writers After Dark. See you next time, and remember, keep looking for your own stories. Mm-hmm.